Hello, and welcome to Wonderstruck. I am your host, Elizabeth Rovere. I'm a clinical psychologist, a yoga teacher, and a graduate of Harvard Divinity School. I am really curious about experiences of wonder and awe and how they transform us. My guest on this episode is Roshana Green. Well, Roshana holds degrees in business and chemistry and has worked in marketing and development positions for much of her professional life, it was an encounter with awe that set her on a new inward path altogether. Now, teaching compassion-based resilience training at the Nalanda Institute in New York City and coaching private clients to loosen their grip on perfectionism, Roshana continues to explore healing and empowerment both for herself and others by integrating moments of wonder and awe into everyday life. Roshana is here to share the intimate, actionable details of her remarkable journey from inner city Houston to the French Alps and beyond. Roshana, we were talking about this very profound moment of recognition of awe, of being in the moment when you were in the Alps this summer. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your experience of that and what came up for you and how it's affected your life. Mm. I love to travel. And I had to be in Switzerland for something. And instead of taking this short three-year, three-year? <laughs> That's your wish. <laughs> I wish I could be in Switzerland for three years or in Europe for three years. Three-day trip. I decided to extend it, and I saw a friend in Geneva, But and what was calling to me was the need for some quiet time, some time just to myself, connecting with nature. So I booked an Airbnb in this small town in France, in Grenoble, and I booked it specifically so that I found a place that had a view of the mountains. Mm. I'd already pictured this. Like I will sit and drink tea and stare at the mountains. These were my goals. I didn't need to shop. I didn't need to do anything else. And it had wonderful blackout curtains. And what it allowed me to do was just sleep until my body told me it was, it was done with sleep. Then I got up and ate whatever delighted me drank tea, read books, and stared at the mountains. Mm. And my nervous system just down-regulated in this fascinating way that I can't recall feeling for a while before then. So, of course, I'm having all of these these breakthroughs. I'm like, wow, like it's been too long since I've experienced this. But as I'm staring, you know, sitting there staring at the mountains, it just wasn't lost on me that, and this girl that grew up in the ghetto, like I remember seeing the Eiffel Tower on TV as a child and was like, wow, that is amazing. I can't imagine what it must be like to be able to see something that glorious. I'm going to get teary as I say this. When I saw the Eiffel Tower for the first time. You just couldn't believe it. I cried. Yeah. I couldn't believe how fortunate I was, or had come to be, that I could do that. 
And that was years before. And so this recent trip to Switzerland, and I'm sitting in this small town in France. I was in awe, true awe, that I'd somehow made, had the fortune to work into this place of, of privilege where I could make a choice like this and have access to something so beautiful and so peaceful and so very different from the way and the space and neighborhoods that I grew up in. Yeah. And so just that juxtaposition, that different, you know, sense in your nervous system and to know that I had access to that means I was in awe. You know, it's so profound and I'm, I'm moved hearing you describe it. I almost feel like I don't even want to say anything to take away from it. And yet I'm talking. <laughs> but it's it's like when you're, my associations are like, like awe, gratitude, self-compassion, a deep appreciation, deep recognition. Like there's so much in what you just said. Deep, deep gratitude, like deep gratitude for yeah. the ability to touch into that and access that kind of beauty and that peace. Peace is the word that keeps coming to mind, like peace. And peace as a means to having space. Yeah. The world opens up. The world opens up in a beautiful way, in a way that's hard to even explain in words. I think about that. It's like, what can we do with our imagination to engage it so that we feel like we're sitting there looking at the Alps? Because I, I don't, I'm not measuring mine, but I have the exact same experience. I can feel it. I feel yes. my, I can feel my body just kind of go like this. Oh, I know. You know, I know. when I'm looking at the ocean, mm-hmm. and you know, or there's not like the sirens or like just traffic. It's a gift, but if you don't have the means or ability to do that, right. Like, how can you touch into that? Right. Like, how do you kind of take that, like the vision, say, for example, of the Alps, mm-hmm. using it almost as a metaphor of bringing that inside, like going inside and finding that place of calm, right? So there's a way in which you can carry it as you're walking outside in Manhattan or wherever or getting on a plane or I don't know, whatever it is, you know, it could be, it could be anything, right? Navigating the day. Stressing yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Getting lost. (laughs) Yeah. Getting Um, through the day. Maybe Roshana, this leads us into CBRT, compassion based resiliency training, because when Mm -hmm. I was kind of looking at that and thinking about it and reading through it, I was like, Oh, let me just, I have it written down. It's uh, (laughs) (laughs) the one it says, so, yeah, well, I guess I should ask you, well, what exactly is this fascinating CBRT? Mm. And then this module, which it says, healing reactive emotions and belief beliefs with self-compassion. I was like, I could, I could do with some of that. Oh, couldn't we all? <laughs> oh, so what would I say succinctly about compassion-based resilience training? At first, it's one of my favorite things that I learned at Nalanda Institute. Because you, you studied it, and then you became the, one of the main teachers. It was for it. actually one of the first things I did uh, coming into Nalanda Institute. I signed up to do this teacher training program, which is about a six-month, a nine-month program if you do uh, both parts. So you get walked through each of these eight modules in mm. 
detail so you get to understand the science behind it, uh, neuroscience, psychology, positive psychology, and you get opportunities to practice I guess putting it into your own language and and practice teaching it. And each module involves some meditations. How do you integrate things and give your nervous system and your mind, body, a known sense of connecting to something? We integrate meditations to help touch into the concepts. Mm -hmm. So you start to embody them and connect with them. And if I had to summarize what it provides people with, It allows people to see themselves more clearly Hmm. in how they are internally and externally when they're navigating stressful or challenging situations. So it allows you to both Mm -hmm. see that clearly and from that clear seeing and that knowledge to determine you know, what do you want to nurture and what do you want to change about that? Mm-hmm. And in that change, we're talking about healing, you know, reactivity with compassion. Once we, once you get introspective and you see some things clearly about yourself, some things that you don't necessarily love that you want to change, one of the first places we go is judgment, shame. Yeah. Like how, well, like, how am I doing that? Why am I still doing that? How, why can't I let that go? That's not really, that doesn't help us shift anything. Mm -hmm. That just kind of keeps us locked in to, um, well, one, talking to ourselves, you know, in a very negative way. And so it encourages, that particular step would encourage you to extend yourself some grace Mm -hmm. and some patience and understanding that change takes time and that, you know, we're all flawed in that way. We Mm -hmm. all have things about ourselves we want to change. And so encouraging you you to give yourself that compassion that you would sometimes it's easier to extend to others. Right. 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 When you see someone trying to make a change, it's like notice for yourself that you're trying to shift something. You're trying to make a change and recognize the small bits of progress. Celebrate Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. instead of looking at how much more there is left to change the road ahead to Perfection is so long. <laughs> yeah, perfection, right? Not right. cracked. It's not what it's cracked up to be. <laughs> no. You know, I think about that in the context with the meditation piece because for myself, I know that I can get wound up and kind of reactive and doing things. And then, you know, if I'm like, okay, you know, okay, I do actually have 20 minutes. I really do have 20 minutes. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to meditate. And then I do. And it's like, Okay, I've been I've been meditating more or less on and off for about 20 years now. And yet why what is going on <laughs> with my psyche that it's still like sometimes I have to like really get myself to do it and then I always find out it's like oh suddenly now I have a little bit of space like it took mm. it, cr- it gave me the space to get some of the reactivity in abeyance almost so that some other kinds of answers that I clearly could not have thought of in that state will come. And it's like, why then am I not like, it's like, I should be wanting to do that all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's almost and like, I think like with a class, maybe in the CBRT group, it's like, you're with other people, you're sharing these stories and there's something about the power of doing it together. Oh yes. Yeah. Shared experience in community. It also helps um, tear down this, um, 
this thought that we all have, especially once we discover something about ourselves, we want to change. Oh, I'm like this, you know, and everyone else is better than me Mm -hmm. at, you know, at whatever it is, right? Whatever it is you're trying to learn to do or whatever you're trying to, to shift and change. And in community, in these classes, that's where so much of the learning coalesces and so Mm -hmm. much of the growth happens is hearing, you know, one another share their experiences week to week of how they've been challenged, how they typically respond, and even the smallest shifts they're starting to notice in Mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah. And even the smallest shifts they're starting to notice in their meditation practice. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's great you just shared that you've been meditating for this amount of time for over 20 years. And still you can sit down <laughs> and feel like sh- like you're struggling to like collect yourself and stay focused. And I always remind people that it's not about, it's like loosening the grip yes, on yes. perfectionism. It's like your mind will, That's cool. will alternate between being too busy and being dull and I spacing like, out. Is, is, so is that what, what you would say in one like kind of phrase, what is CBRT, loosening the grip on perfectionism? Is that a, because I kind of like that. I think that, that applies. <laughs> I like that, that. Absolutely. It lo- you do loosen the grip on perfectionism. Once we do that, we're less judgmental of ourselves. Yeah. We're able to, circling back to something you just said, have some space. Once, once we've dropped some of the language about how we're so awful because we're not this perfect and how it's never going to be whatever, some of that falls away. It creates space. Mm-hmm. That space creates a little silence, a little more silence to hear what's, what else is happening, what else is going on, mm-hmm. to notice bandwidth, to notice what shifts are happening or not, mm-hmm. and, just, and just noticing yeah. I think, yes, it helps loosen the grip on perfectionism. You know, you've certainly had your experience and sort of in sojourn into perfectionism and high achievement. You've got your, I guess, are you, I don't know if you are a chemist, but you have a BA in chemistry. And uh, yes, and, and like biophysical chemistry, like some really, <laughs> like if you needed to Hardcore know. Hardcore science. If you needed to know how to describe upper level chemistry in mathematical <laughs> equations, like... Sure. That's cool, actually. It's pretty cool. That'll let you know everything you need to know about me as an overachiever, like why I needed to do that. And then you went and got an MBA. And then you went into the corporate world and you were like, and you were like very, you've been very successful, which is, you know, for all practical, that's great. I mean, that looks really great to the the world, right? It it looks great on paper. It looks great on paper, (laughs) but it didn't feel so great because you were like pushing through. You were in survival mode a lot. Yes. Um, And you were like achieve, achieve, achieve. You know, and so it's it's interesting, right? So that's and then something wasn't something wasn't working. Mm. But you, I mean, I'm assuming right, you didn't know quite what it was, and then you all of a sudden you had well, you had a car accident that mm. slowed you down, yeah. and I understand that's what kind of brought you more into this contemplative space. It really did. When when you literally have to have a a car accident, an injury, <laughs> make you stop and pause. I want to address, there were a few things that weren't working. There, when you're in hyper achievement mode like that, nothing in your now, in your present Mm. is ever, it's not good enough. You're not even taking a moment to savor any of that. It's always, it's what's next, what's next. And I was feeling and hearing a call from within 
to be using my time in a way that felt purposeful to the world. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that was. And I do remember having this deep sense of frustration. I'm like, what is it? What am I supposed to be doing? Like, I mm. didn't know what it was. And I wanted to discover it. But I knew that what I was doing wasn't it. But long before I made that that shift, a car accident happened. And I... Of course, landed in physical therapy, but I had a friend, my physical therapist, which was rare at the time, said, well, yeah, yoga could be good. Mm. And a friend recommended a yoga studio to me. I found myself on a yoga mat. And one of my fondest memories, I found myself in a bridge pose for what felt like an eternity, <laughs> for, felt like 15 minutes. And I'm thinking, Probably why, was. <laughs> what it might have been with this particular practice. And I thought, well, is she try- what is she doing? Like, why <laughs> my legs are shaking and they're on fire? And this practice wow. is uh, forest yoga. Yeah. And it's a it's a slower moving practice that focuses you on connecting, using your breath to connect to your body and go within. Mm-hmm. There you and go. And get introspective. So when you're in a bridge pose for 15 minutes, you can choose to either constantly struggle, stay in struggle of like, oh my gosh, when is this going to end? I can't, whatever. Or, you know, abort mission, come out of it because you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. Or you can think about how you resource yourself to handle this particular challenge you find yourself in at the moment. And you start to learn some things about yourself when you go within. You're like, okay, I could come out of this pose. I could keep bitching about it or, you know, whatever. Right. But but what am I going to do? And how do, how do I want to show up for myself right now? Something about it allowed you to have that choice. Something about being in that, I don't know. Like you, you were like, okay, yeah, maybe you do go through a little thing of bitching about it. But then you started having different choices. You made different choices. I started making different choices and it's the reason why I love this practice. It's my it's mm. my personal practice. It's what I, I do uh, near yoga. daily, near mm-hmm. daily for myself. Good and for I you. teach it. Wow. So it's um, because it helps people meet themselves. Yeah, that's you, cool. You meet yourself. It also, as you'll start to see how my life has is aligning, it also gets you out of perfectionism. Yeah. This practice is, was my first foray of quieting my mind, connecting with my body, and creating that space mm-hmm. to to listen. Mm-hmm. And it's through my like yoga mat that I came to even exploring meditation mm-hmm. as a practice. I guess I think about that in the context of this podcast and Wonderstruck, and I wonder about in the yoga or kind of hitting that place of transformation Would you say, did you have some kind of experience like that where it's like, oh, my God, what have I been doing? Absolutely. And I had that experience somewhere within that first year of integrating that practice. But I have that experience. We just talked about how do you capture that experience in the Alps Mm -hmm. and and bring that within? How do you integrate that into your daily life? Mm -hmm. My yoga practice allows me to touch into Mm -hmm. that same 
those those bits of awe. Mm-hmm. Because awe isn't just something we can ex- experience externally. Right. I have moments where I experience awe when I have a, a breakthrough yeah. that I didn't know it could happen. It's not a breakthrough of like, oh, I just did this handstand. It's not right. that. It's a breakthrough of, oh, typically I need to... I can't stay in this or I abandon myself when I hit these types of walls and then noticing, oh, mm-hmm. I found a, I found other ways to resource and support myself so I could be with that challenge in a meaningful way mm-hmm. versus say to myself, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I have to put the knee down or I need to come, come out of this. And one of my biggest moments of awe was in my teacher training when I learned to teach the style of yoga. On the final day, we sit in this large circle and the teacher asks you to just briefly state like a key takeaway for you. And what I realized was, and it still holds true in my teacher, I did my teacher training maybe eight years ago, Hmm. was when I realized that the way I choose to struggle on my mat is the same way I choose to struggle in my everyday life. Can you give us an example of what you mean by that? Mm. So much, so many experiences. So for instance, on your mat, you're a yoga practitioner as well. You come into a difficult pose and you're feeling tired or you're feeling like, oh, this is, this is difficult. I don't know if I can do this. And For me, some people usually have a tendency in their practice. Some people bail, and then some people, no surprise to you, I'm of the second type. I'm always an overachiever, so (laughs) I'm going to power through and muscle it, even if I don't have it to give, even if I should make the change, even if I should bring the knee down and make a modification to take care of myself. There's a, a piece of me in maybe it comes from, well, I know it comes from some of my upbringing of just barreling through things and getting through. It's like I have something to prove. And it and it's not necessarily to other people. It's to myself. Yeah. Like I don't allow myself to need help mm. or admit that something might be a little too big right now that I could use some assistance, some support, or or something about it changed. You have vulnerability. (gasps) Don't (laughs) tell anybody. I would hate for anyone to know. And I see that. It's It's a way I, especially earlier on in my yoga practice, I will just muscle through things. And the thing about muscling through things, yeah, you might get it done, but at what cost? Yeah. Like I've, I've, you know, exacerbated an injury or I've started to injure something or I've really exhausted, over-exhausted myself unnecessarily. Right. And what that looks like in everyday life is very similar. A person that will sometimes overcommit and say, I got, you know, I can get it all done or try to do, take on more than I need to. When I could raise my hand and say, hey, I could use some assistance. I could use some support. Right. 
it looks like that. It looks like, you know, physically just wearing yourself down, trying to squeeze too much into a day. But again, that fear of showing vulnerability, of needing support, of needing help. Mm -hmm. And I'm not doing anything but hurting myself more. Right. And also I'm being disconnected from the power of vulnerability. Yeah. Thank you. The power of vulnerability. The power of vulnerability. This might be a breakthrough. I think that's the first time I've ever said that that way because vulnerability is powerful. It allows, well, one, first and foremost, it allows you to access support from others, but it also helps people connect to you in a very human way. We're all vulnerable. Yes. We all need each other. It's relieving to the other person. It is relieving to the other person. I've had a friend once tell me, I'm going to mention her name, one of my best friends, Sidra. Um, I've watched her raise two beautiful children, have been present for most of their lives, and I've had the honor of showing up for her a lot as a friend. But one day she said to me, she called me out. She said, you don't allow me to show up for you the way you show up for me. Oh, wow. Wow. I was like, okay. True. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> that, that yes. Is, yes. Absolutely, that's yes. correct. And that stuck with me, and it was probably the first thing that actually got through yep. to me that made me realize that I don't allow myself to be supported or be seen in this very human way. And give the other person the opportunity and agency to help you. Yeah. It's wacky. It's still, I'll remember it. That gives me goosebumps, just remembering her saying that to me, calling me out. Because it was such a loving gesture Absolutely. from a friend. And, you know, you're really good friends for someone to, to call you out this, this way. But it's okay. resonant, and I, I try to remember it. And who am I to pretend that I'm, who am I, some superhuman being that's not vulnerable? The, the one person on the planet that doesn't need help? Yeah, who are you doing that for? I have no clue. <laughs> no clue. So I'm working on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> Being trained as as a scientist, right, you think Mm -hmm. of the scientific method and so forth, and it's very rational and logical. And then being trained as a yoga teacher and Mm -hmm. a meditation teacher, it's very intuitive-based. And what a great thing to be able to blend. It's fun. I can tell you how I was um, fortunate enough a couple weekends ago, I was with my teacher on a forest, her Mm. style of yoga. I was assisting her in some workshops. Nice. And being in a sea of bodies doing yoga allows me to merge all of this together because what science is, is experimentation. And there is, here's what we, the body of evidence as we think we know it, this is what it says. And then there's room for experiments Mm. around that. So at any given point, like bodies are all different different ages, different, they're going through different things. Someone might be growing life in a body. The body is (laughs) aging, you know, or people have injuries. And 
So there's trial and error and experimentation in helping people stay active and engaged in their practice, but meeting themselves safely and bravely where they are. So meaning keeping themselves out of harm, but also still working at their edge. So they're growing and they're learning something. So there's so much experimenting happening, Mm -hmm. but then there's the intuition. Like I'm I'm bought from in a very bodily sense, reading things and sensing. And sometimes it's not like you, you, you just said, like, how do you know? Sometimes the knowing isn't a, a knowing because I saw it with my eyes. It was like a feeling yeah. I had. And then I then I turn around and then I see it yeah. with my eyes. But it wasn't my eyes that brought my attention to it you felt in the it. first place. And that's could sound wacky to someone to try to explain, but it this is has been my my experience. And that's why I love yep. love doing this with her because again it's another space in which I feel like all of me gets to arrive mm-hmm. and show up I love that it's it's fantastic and I love you saying that too because it's like you know you felt it you knew it because you felt it and you turned and you saw and that it was accurate and that is a bodily sense of knowing that's yes. coming to your awareness mm-hmm. and it's funny right like it's it, it's like we are a body, a mind, a spirit. Like, why does it have to sound wacky? Because it's like it seems so commonsensical on the one hand. It does, but we're not. We're unfortunately, at some point, we're almost we're taught to betray yes our bodies. Yes, we're taught to yeah. only rely on this like rigidly fixed. You know, this is what's been documented, and this is what we know, and this is what's supported as truth, as knowledge. And anything outside of the bounds of that is, like, questionable. It gets you nowhere. And do you know what it does? And this is just coming to me in some kind of way. It disconnects us from our ability to be in awe. That's a profound, I mean, a realization. It's a choice. It's not saying that I'm choosing the challenges. Like, life throws us real things, but... But struggle, yeah. there's elements of struggle that are a choice. Yep. And once you own that, you recapture a lot of agency. Yeah, well said. You recapture agency. And having agency is powerful. Yeah. It's everything. Agency is everything. It's, you know, it gives us power to, you know, move and change and shift that which we can have some influence over. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. As opposed to, you know, disproportionately being focused on that which we can't, we don't have. And not to say that things we can't individually and currently and immediately move and change, we should abandon all hope and shifting and changing. They may take longer arcs and longer roads and teams and communities to shift and change, mm-hmm. but but that individual agency and finding yeah. where you can move things, it's powerful. It's incredibly powerful, and I, I love how you're describing that and talking about it, and I think about it as, you know, like, like this feeling empowered yes. and capable. Yes. And it, what a gift that is and a realization and, you know— um, what a way kind of out of 
some of the chaos. And I think about it, too, in the context of because a lot of times I think people will think that agency might look like, you know, that achievement or powering through. And it's like, mm, you know, not really, because you're not really being an agent. You're still you know, subject to your checklist and to some sort of externalized standard that oftentimes is, you know, I don't, I'd like to say bullshit sometimes, right? Um, But rather agency is that real internal source of power and movement that's, you know. I know. So healing. It is healing. It is healing. And connecting to agency I see connecting to agency and that internal empowering empowerment as also connecting to I love that you brought this in early because now I won't I won't lose it as a as a thread of something I'll always think about. It allows you to more readily pull that Swiss Alps mm. and connect to what gives you that feeling mm-hmm. of awe or how you can access that wonderstruck, those wonderstruck moments. Mm -hmm. Agency Mm -hmm. and feeling empowered allow you to do that Mm -hmm. and find ways and paths to do that. And you don't have to be in the Alps to do that. I've had beautiful, I've had those experiences in the botanical gardens here in Mm -hmm. New York, Mm -hmm. right? Or I, one of the things I love about my little nook corner of a Brooklyn neighborhood are these community gardens. Yes, yes. I'm like, what That's a beautiful cool. thing that are open where strangers can just come and be together. And here's this nature in a concrete jungle, <laughs> I right? I love, I, I love that. <laughs> I fall out of love with New York sometimes, and then I fall really <laughs> in love. And these, these are moments where I fall in love with New York, like these these little, the parks and the, the gardens. And so, so yeah. You don't have to go get on a plane to get to it. No, you don't, actually. <clears throat> and I think that's also about what happens when you start, like you're saying, instead of when you're out of a reactivity mode or survival mode, things start to open up in a way that you actually, and I can you know, speak for myself, but I think it's true for, for most people, that you start seeing things that you didn't see before anyway, right. right? Like I might not have noticed that community garden. I could have walked right past it. And suddenly now I actually see it. Like the mm. whole world opens up in a way. The blinders come off in a way. Space. Yes, yeah, space. Space, spaciousness. So that if you're, if we soften around the go, 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 I'm, I'm just going from here to there to go here to do this, you know, that mm-hmm. whole hamster wheel of, of mm-hmm. constant activity and achievement, then there's space to, it sounds so cheesy, to stop and smell the roses, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Because you even notice that you're, you've been passing by a rose bush every day mm-hmm. on your way between mm-hmm. A and B. But now yeah. you yeah. have the space yeah. to even notice that it's there. Yeah. And things like start to look a little bit brighter even. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost, I mean, it, it kind of blows my mind sometimes. Have you ever noticed after, like when you meditate and then you kind of come out of it and like things just sort of look brighter? Yes, glowy and yes, brighter. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. As if you're almost seeing the, these things for the first time. Yes. Which is a wonderful thing. It's wonderful. Well, you've, you're almost seeing, I think meditation, at least in my experience, also helps us sort of strip down and let some things fall yes. away so that when you do reopen your eyes or, or 
refix your gaze on what's around you after meditation, these are almost new mm -hmm. eyes. Mm -hmm. These are refreshed, you know, a clearer lens, so to spe speak, that you're looking at things with. So maybe things do seem a little brighter and a little It's true. Shinier. You've gotten rid of some of the baggage a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, you talked about your mom a little bit. Like, so you grew up in Texas. Yeah. And you said your mom was really pushing education and oh, pushing yes. a way to get out. Yeah. Um, how, so it's curious to me, like, you also have said, like, I, I wish that maybe my family had known about some of these types of practices. Can you tell me a little bit about that experience? Because I was curious on the one hand, right? She's pushing you to get the education. So on the one hand, it was helpful as a way out. But on the other hand, it also set you up for that perfectionist, achievement-oriented checklist, right? So we're just like, how do you yeah, find the, the balance, balance, right? Where is the balance? Here's what was great. Here's what was good. My mother was, you know, for the most of my early youth, raising four children yeah. on her own. And there were some intermittently some other family members in and out of the picture trying to help support. But my mother is doing most of this work. Uh, we were very poor and we were, my mom was making it work. And from my earliest memory was keeping focused on education for a couple reasons. One, we were living in unsavory neighborhoods. And mm -hmm. if you didn't have your head in the books and you weren't really mm -hmm. on track, there's too many opportunities to uh, possibly get involved in things that will take you completely off track and lead you down other paths. And so I you know, saw lots of, you know, especially as I got to junior high school or high school, people involved in drugs and other violence or early pregnancies and yeah. other things, just really getting off track. Yeah. And my mom told us to stay focused on our education. Hmm. She said, you know, and she, I remember her, I was laughing with my sister a couple days ago. We, we chuckle at our mother's, uh, parenting style because she would have this this way of just pointing out to us examples in our community or something we could see of you know of someone going off path and what that looked like mm. and she would say well see that's someone who wasn't taking their studies very seri seriously and they were with all this free time they were doing this and doing that <laughs> and now look at where where they are. Oh and she would literally say to us, so these choices are yours. Like, I can't make the choice for you, for you. These choices are yours. You can either stay focused on your studies or you could potentially, you know, end up down one of these paths. Wow. And I just remember it was, almost, it was like a very early scared straight program. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, that doesn't look like fun. I'm going to read oh, another book. I think I'll read another book. That's mm, what I'm going to do. Interesting. So, yeah, so it was just, it was it was fascinating. But what she was doing was instilling agency and empowerment. Yeah. However. You have a choice in some way. You have a, have a choice. But the thing you just touched on, which is true. Oh, I can almost feel, I can feel it in my chest. Remember being like that um, very perfectionist about like my grades, like an mm. A minus wasn't going to be good enough for me. And it wasn't like my mother was saying, oh, how dare you bring home that A minus. For me, I'm thinking I need to be the best. If I can be the best and do the best, then I can get the scholarship to go to this school to get out of here and 
set a good example. I was also the oldest of four. Set a good example for my siblings that, look, see, I did it. Mm. You can do it. Stay the course. Yeah. And so I literally, I can feel like a little bit of like anxiety in my chest thinking about how that was my... Well, it's taking on a lot of responsibility. Absolutely. Like I can save us all. Yeah. Like I can save us all. I'll show you how it's done. And then you can follow in my footprints. And so it's that piece. Wow. Where I'm like, oh, okay, overcorrect, overcorrected a little bit here. Would have been nice to have access to some way of creating some some balance in that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But I mean, if I had had it all over to do over again. Do I fault my mom? Do I think my mom was was wrong? Heck no, she wasn't. Like she yeah. she got four <clears throat> children, you know, out of that situation, out of those neighborhoods. And I feel like I'm the least educated of the four of us now. I have only Good one God. master's degree. Oh my my the rest of my siblings have at least two, I believe. And so for what it's worth, that approach in, you know, having us focus on a path towards agency and empowerment. That was great, but we were just missing a little bit of 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 balance. Yeah. So, and that showed up in a in a variety of ways. So, I have do have a tendency, if unchecked, to be fixated on perfectionism. Yeah. Like the A minus isn't good enough. Like, what if that's not good enough to do this or do that or make mm-hmm. this move? And so, always looking beyond my current situation, which was positive for me when I was living in the ghetto in a in a place that felt very bleak it wasn't nice to sit in and be in and like savor that experience Mm -hmm. right so looking beyond that and having a something as a pathway to breadcrumb you out of that great however Whatever the next situation was and the next, I was constantly looking for what's the next stepping stone and what's the next thing and not able to really Mm -hmm. take in the the beauty of or even necessarily appreciate the progressive steps. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's like there's like the way in which perfectionism and ambition, right, can just generate it and, and get you and move you and get out of something. And there's a time, right? Like that survival mode, you need it. You yes. need to utilize this. And this needs to be enforced, right? Yes. But then it's like, how do you like turn down the engine? Because yeah. where do you go? Where does it stop? Yes. And then if it stops, you're like, oh, but this is it? Because I've not been completely present during the process. Mm. You know? That's it. And it's it's a very fascinating kind of complicated thing, right? Yeah. How do you turn it off? Because that um, a certain amount of stress reactivity or survival mode, it's beneficial. Hell yeah. We need it. I When I'm teaching uh, CBRT, um, one of the examples I use is that, you know, that survival mode instinct to sort of scan your surroundings to see like, oh, if, is is there danger? And then react accordingly, right? Yeah. Like when we were hunting and gathering and if your scan let you know that there was a predator, 
nearby and you needed to run to escape to be safe. That's amazing. Yeah. The people that didn't have the sharp reactivity to escape and get to safety, yeah. they didn't really survive. I don't think yeah, we didn't come from those people. Right, exactly. Because they got eaten. They aren't here anymore. They got eaten. <laughs> so the thing is that serves us well when the stressor is of adequate size and our ability to yeah. handle it is, you know, is not there, right? And then so maybe we do need to take some action. We need to flee yeah. or there's a, a battle we're, we're gearing up for. And when you do that and and we have correctly assessed the stressor and our ability to deal with it, then there's a discharge that yeah. happens. Yeah. And that discharge is exactly the thing we see animals do mm-hmm. in nature when they have a stressful interaction. They they stop and they shake it off. They discharge. We don't have that natural process. Mm -hmm. So what happens is if we are driving to work and we're stuck in traffic and we're getting worked up and that's feeling stressful, and all of a sudden our brain is telling us, oh, I'm going to be late for this meeting and then my boss is going to be upset. I'm going to lose my job. Like we've already, you know, Mm -hmm. here's this big stressful situation. Mm -hmm. And I feel so powerless to deal with it, your body is going through the same stress cycle that it would go through if you were being chased by a predator. Yeah. And there's no discharge. We don't, or we don't have a natural process for, for discharging it. So we have to get more skillful at a couple things, both right sizing our stressors and right-sizing our own capability of dealing with whatever it is we're facing. And I do think it's beneficial to have in our toolkit ways that we discharge when we're feeling worked up. Right, right. When we've, because sometimes this thing happens, then we realize, oh, I'm a little worked up. I'm like, I'm overly worked up over something that's actually not that big of a deal. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you do? What do you do for yourself mm-hmm. to discharge? Yes. A lot of people don't necessarily have that in their back pocket. Is that part of what CBRT offers? And, and is that what's, what the forest yoga, for example, and meditation have been I for think you? they both offer this. I think CBRT allows you to see yourself more clearly, assess what you have in your toolkit mm-hmm. to do this, to both get more skillful and wise about assessing stressful, challenging situations, assessing yourself, your own capabilities, and uh, determining how you can resource yeah. yourself to handle these things or to process. And then Force Yoga for me is where I process, where I get yeah. Yeah. I get introspective and I can actually look at how I've handled some yeah. things and how I've been. And I also can discharge and move some things through my body so they're not sitting in my mm-hmm. body. Right. I mean, it makes me think of when you said that very first experience in bridge pose and you started shaking because you were up there so long. There you are. Yeah. Yeah. And the shaking isn't incidental, you right. know? It's, there's something moving. Through and There's out. something moving through and out. And, and look, maybe yoga is not the thing for some people. And I even say this about 
meditation, especially if someone's feeling challenged in just the sitting on the cushion and trying mm -hmm. to quiet the mind, maybe that's not the point to to approach it for you. Maybe you need to start with a walking meditation or yeah. a moving meditation of some sort, or mm -hmm. maybe you need to touch into something else that allows you to start quieting your mind and letting the busyness, the to-do list fall away. Maybe that's gardening. Yeah. You know? It's, it's interesting to me. I keep wanting to ask you a little bit about like, has your mom been able to apply anything for herself? Like something, like a way of accessing something for herself that's been able to attenuate her own stress and some of her, like as you've mentioned before in other contexts and interviews, like her, some of her mental health issues. Yes. My mother is schizophrenic, and which she wasn't diagnosed with until almost 20 years ago, so later in her life. Mm -hmm. And one thing where she seems to find some peace and spaciousness, she's an amazing with her hands. Oh. There's literally nothing she can't make. I remember some of my earliest memories are of just things she would draw. She would uh, sketch some things, and she's never been formally trained in anything. She also taught herself to sew. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> home ec, like a high school home ec yeah. class, and from there she never turned back. My mother is an amazing seamstress. Mm. There's literally nothing she can't make. Mm. Like, I've seen her make tuxedos, like wedding oh dresses, God. like hand beading. I think somewhere, probably in storage, I still have a dress wow. that I had my mother make me in college. I know I'm not the only one woman who's done this where you keep something that you were able to wear a long time ago just to, and sometimes you see if you can, like, get back into it. But I also, I kind of keep it for that reason because it was like a well-fitting dress. But the real reason why I keep it is because I needed a dress for a formal event. And I told my mother what type of fabric I wanted, what color. And I circled the top of a dress, the bottom of a dress, the back of a dress. And she asked me, she, she told me where to take some measurements on myself. Hmm. And my mother sent me a perfect dress oh that God. needed no alterations. Wow. That's, she's spectacular. Really impressive. And, so, and I grew up, uh, like a, a wonderful thing I got to do with my mother is growing up like pinning patterns to mm. fabrics and mm -hmm. in fabric stores and and. So I learned how to sew, do some basic sewing pretty early on, which is like almost a lost art. So uh, something I'm, I'm proud of that doesn't exist on a resume, oddly enough. Oh, it should, though. It should. I think you should put it on your resume. Also, can sew. But I think it's because it's very, you know, it's the thing that's fascinating to me about this is so I part of the way that I got into psychology was working with refugees Ooh. and refugee groups like people would go out like let's go help the refugees right but the refugees like we don't want any help we're not talking about our problems you know please leave us alone but they found that they would have sewing groups or knitting mm. groups and then all of a sudden you're hanging out knitting and people start to talk and process and then I'm thinking about your mom like because she accomplished a lot with you all with the four children right yes. like she really was heroic and yet she's struggling with Reality, yes, psychosis, schizophrenia, and 
what held her together, and I don't mean to, to be too concrete, but she's sewing. And it's creativity, right? And agency. She's making something. It's creativity, it's agency, and I love that my practice has allowed me to like have space to look back on things like this and that's a moment of awe. It's not a moment of awe. It's just an experience of awe. It's awesome. It is awesome. Literally awesome that my mother, with all the things she was navigating and the challenges she was facing, so many challenges, that she was able to somehow create this, these little cocoons where four children could thrive, like really thrive. And find agency for herself through creative outlets, like making things. And through making these things, she was connecting with folks because she is a very, and it's hard to name and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, a therapist and I don't know like which came first. I think she's also a very introverted person but there's something about these creative outlets where she comes alive and becomes a more connected version of herself. Yeah. And it's, it's created these avenues for her to connect with people and work with people. And so even when she's in modes of self-isolation, sewing still hmm. is, is a, a thread, is something that connects her to community and to other people. So you see that now. I still see it. It's, she has, when I call the check-in on my mother, she has, and, you know, for a mm-hmm. living, she's done a lot of seamstress work. Incredible. And so she still has steady clients who Excellent. bring things to her. And so, and it, it just fills my wow. heart with the joy when I'm hearing like, oh, so-and-so, you know, mm-hmm. brought you some things to alter this thing's going to, I know she yeah. has a project and something she can work on with her hands and she can do. She lost her mom at the age of 10. And so I think part of this reason, uh, survival, yeah, survival instincts, and, and she's also always been pretty survival-focused. And she learned to make clothes early on. Yeah. It was also part of survival. She's like, I don't, I can make mm-hmm. myself clothes <clears throat> for little or no money. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, yeah, it's such an interesting thing, right? Because it's, I mean, we could even say that sewing is some type of an embodied practice, very, right? It very. probably, well, uh, you know, it probably saved her, right? I think so. I totally think so. And sewing put into, you know, applying to caring for her children. Yeah. Too. You know, they they say that creativity is, you know, if we can, if we can access some aspect of our creativity, it's a way out of our trauma or it's that, that thread that can pull us. It's an outlet. It's the crack in the armor. And I just think about, I mean, I'm, I'm inspired by your story and her story. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Creativity. It can, that connects me to, you know, meditation, the power of meditation. Yes. Meditation is asking us towards allowing us to have a space where we let ourselves be creative. I can imagine myself being in the Alps. Yeah. Even if I've never seen them, I could 
find a picture in a book and I can imagine myself being there. Even that creative aspect, mm -hmm. letting our imagination open up, yeah. provides a connection. We have that power. We have that agency. Yeah. No matter what, like we can start to make those little shifts. We can start to, you know, rewire our, yeah. our brains. We can start to give our nervous systems a different known experience. Yes. Right? Yes. We can do that through the power of using our mind, especially in some type of meditative way. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of circles me into this going back to like the podcast and Wonderstruck, right, about having these kinds, it's not just like having these kinds of experiences or maybe it's really more of allowing the space to have these kinds of experiences and seeing the transformative or the effects of such, you know, I mean, that's what William James was talking about a hundred mm -hmm. years ago. And, you know, look, he wasn't the first one to talk about it. They were talking about this thousands of years ago. Yes. You know, this is the part of the contemplative life. It is. You know, that we have this capacity. We have more creativity. We are inherently creative. Yes. Just create the space for it. Let it unfold. There must be the space. It all starts with space. Yeah. It all starts with space. And so what comes to mind, you were asking me about how I work with people. I fundamentally start to teach people how to create space. Yeah. Yep. Loosen the grip. They have to loosen the grip on whatever brand of perfectionism, whatever their perfectionism has them, mm -hmm. them focused on, and create space. It's exciting. It's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting. And we can all do that. It's, it excites me. So this is why nowadays I'm, I'm excited about getting out of bed to, yeah, yeah, to yeah, talk yeah, to people yeah. and to work with people because I feel like in everything I'm doing, I'm helping people get to understand themselves better, see themselves more clearly, mm. and connect to their agency and their power. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I love that you just said that. That's that's what it is. That is that is it. And if I get to do that every day, that's how I want to spend my time. That's how I want to spend my life, yeah. That's how I want to spend my life. That feels like a good way to spend my time. That feels purposeful. That feels like I am doing something to contribute and to give back in a way that's meaningful. That was Roshana Green. Thank you so much, Roshana. To learn more about Roshana's work, including coaching, yoga, and equity and inclusion training, please visit www.roshanagreen.com. Please come back next time on Wonderstruck when I'll be talking with Russell Brand about practicing embodiment, striving toward freedom, and what it really takes to make meaningful change. For more information about the show, my guests, and some really exciting upcoming events, check out wonderstruck.org. And please subscribe to Wonderstruck on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. We truly want to hear from you with your feedback, reviews, and ratings. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at WonderstruckPod. Wonderstruck is produced by Wonderstruck Productions with the teams at Bailey Newman and Freetime Media. Special thanks to Brian O'Kelly, Eliana Elefthuru, Travis Reese, and Tom Camuso. Thank you for listening. And remember, be open to the wonder in your own life. Mm -hmm.